Welcome to the Discipleship Webcast. My name is Sophia Paquette. I'm here with our teacher tonight, Robin Waller. How's it going? Our teacher. Yes. Uh, rabbi. <laughs> Sounds very official. I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. How are you, Soph? Good, good. I'm good. It's good. We get to be in the church together. Yes. Isn't that fun? It's honestly an honor to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, but what are you teaching about tonight? So we're cracking open a very old and kind of obscure C.S. Lewis quote okay. about first and second things. So we're going to practice our counting yeah. of first and second tonight. It's going to be good. So grab your calculators, notebooks, and pens, and we will be right back with some news of the week. You don't actually need your calculator. <laughs> For the math, the people that hate math and the, the cold sweats just started, it's okay. We're just kidding. It's a joke. But bring your notepad and your Bible. <laughs> Okay, so welcome to News of the Week. We are so excited to be sharing with you the first episode of tonight's uh, webcast series is talking about first things like Robin talked about. It's a five-week series, so you want to make sure you're tuned in to all five weeks because you really don't want to miss out. We're going to be building as we yeah. go. We're going to be building as we go. So tonight is laying the foundation yeah. and get into it some more. Uh, tomorrow night, we have the budgeting workshop uh, happening online. You can sign up on the Engage app or uh, on engage.liftchurch.ca. Great opportunity as many of you are starting into the summer Mm -hmm. or discipling people who are starting into the summer. Great opportunity to talk about budgeting. So I'd encourage them uh, to be there or encourage you to be there if you know someone that should be there. May 14th, tomorrow at 7 p.m. Okay, perfect. And so as we've been doing some fun things as a church family, we have an opportunity to invite some of our non-Christian friends, co-workers, really anyone we know in our lives to run the amazing race with us virtually as we go and visit all of our campuses that we're currently on, including UTM, which is very exciting. Um, so make sure you sign up on engage.liftchurch.ca. If you have any questions, you're more than welcome to message myself or Taylor Minor, uh, and we'd be lo- uh, so excited to help you out. On May 29th, uh, we are going to be hosting a graduation mm-hmm. for our grads from this past year Yay. to give them a chance to celebrate together with our church family the completion of their degrees or diplomas. Mm-hmm. So May 29th at 11 a.m. online, live stream from YouTube. It'll be a great chance to celebrate them. Family is, of course, welcome yeah. to join. And uh, we'd love people to bake cupcakes and share them with each other uh, in their region. So I'm sure instructions will be posted to Discord on how to do that, but let's celebrate our grads on May 29th. Uh, now, we're switching gears from News of the Week to some things that we're celebrating. Yeah. And I, I want to celebrate, biggest celebration of this week to Pinky yes. Lewis. If you don't know what Pinky Lewis is, it's one of uh, our largest initiatives that we do mm-hmm. in the core of the city of Hamilton to serve some of the uh, most vulnerable people in our city and yeah. let them know that, hey, somebody loves them. Yeah. Uh, so it's a mixture of families and kids and newcomers to Canada yeah. and a real blend of people. And yeah. man, the last five years has been incredible. Hundreds and yes. hundreds, if not thousands of people have been impacted by yeah. the work of our church in this part of the city. And there's a real trust that has been won there. Uh, we've not stopped during COVID. So uh, the cool part is that it just it started basically as a strategic missional engagement mm-hmm. for a simple church. It was before we had that language, but 
It was an SME. Yeah, for sure. And it just goes to show how big a simple church can dream. And yeah. now many simple churches are a part yeah. of it. But there's no limits. Like, like SME can be as big as we want. You want, yeah. you want to launch something huge, you can go for it. Yeah. And out of that spun Westside, Mobile Ministries, yeah. which is happening at Guelph, and uh, so many other great things. So way to go, Pinky Lewis team. If you want to read more about the Pinky Lewis story, go to Discord, scroll up, and read Ina's post. Man, just mm -hmm. like beautiful, yeah. heartbreaking, yeah. Uh, amazing, and uh, man, just drop some love for Pinky Lewis. That is just yeah. incredible. And that's under the social channel. So you want to under the here. social yeah. channel. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so another thing that we are celebrating is all um, some incredible things happening with our simple, tr uh, sorry, our regional gatherings um, that is happening post livecast. Mm -hmm. um, just. I love seeing all the little icons popping up on Sundays after the live cast. Just people just talking about scripture and just really coming together as church's family when we can't physically be together. So it's just a really fun way that I know my region has just started to do that. And even seeing new people that I would have never been able to see because we're on screens right now. Yeah, now as we look forward to gathering in our regions again, hopefully one day soon. Yes. We've been slowly rolling out some details about that. Check out last week's live cast and we'll... Uh, give another update this coming Sunday. Mm -hmm. uh, one other thing to celebrate is all of you that have been just sharing, yeah. blessing, encouraging, baking cookies. Yeah. I feel like our church, like we are ready to open up a bake shop. It's very true. Yeah. Uh, like we are, if we're not baking cookies, we're baking cupcakes. If we're not baking cupcakes, we're breaking communion bread yeah, or cinnamon rolls or Lord knows yeah. what. It's amazing. And so shout out to Nate, uh, to uh, who are we celebrating here? Nicole and Shane and Paula and Caleb and uh, mm -hmm. so many other people that have been baking and sharing. And just, I, I think what we're really celebrating here is the way that our church has been blessing each other mm -hmm. spontaneously, man. Spontaneous mm -hmm. blessing. Love it. And Caleb has inspired a little secret uh, idea I have for Monday. Okay. So if you want to get in on the random sort of blessing with baked treats train. So you're baking? No. <laughs> <laughs> That would not be a blessing. So that, that would, if Laura was baking, that's true. Blessing. If yeah. I was baking, not a blessing. But there will be a surprise coming Monday. Okay. So watch, really? watch social share. Where? Not, watch Discord. Where on Discord? Social. Uh, probably social. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but last but finally not least, I want to celebrate Rachel Graham and Brooke Weaver, who um, their simple church cooked meals for Westside, which is such a beautiful testament to not only our church sharing resources within our church, but also outside into our city. So shout out to that simple church and also all the other simple churches that continue to serve our city engagement ministries, uh, like through Pinky as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's it for that, uh, for the celebrations. But what are you guys celebrating this past week? So excited to read all of that in Discord, to post that in the live cast webcast chat. And here are some more celebrations coming your way. Hey there, church. My name is Graham White, and along with my wife, we serve as the regional directors for McMaster Region D. Today, we want to celebrate Mark Cruz for tapping into the competitive nature of his simple church and using competition to really drive engagement in scripture, time in prayer, as well as greater and deeper Good. discipleship.
Okay, I have the privilege of talking to Taryn and Jeremy Bradley, who have taken up the missionary appointment, who are embracing the identity of a missionary. So we're just going to have a conversation with them. How's it going, guys? How's it going, guys? Good. We're good. Yes. Awesome. Okay, so kind of diving right into it. So why did you guys decide to do the missionary appointment? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it was actually really simple for us, I think. Um, when uh, Robin and Laura kind of approached us and laid out the the heart behind it, uh, the vision for what it could look like, and um, just the fact that it's kind of living into the identity of being a missionary, mm. For us, it just made perfect sense for what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, we don't think that being a missionary is like an add-on that isn't necessarily a part of what we're all called to be. It's all one thing, like being a disciple maker and a disciple goes hand in hand with being a missionary. So just the description of taking on that identity and, and in, in the context of Lyft and where we're at just made perfect sense. And we were just like, absolutely. That's so awesome. Okay, so kind of bring me back. How did you guys first get um, a part of join our our church family? And then how did some of that maybe influence your decision to step into this to embracing this identity? Yeah, um, I started coming to Lyft sort of on and off in my first year in 2014. <laughs> hmm. I moved from new two people that were going to Mac and both of them were kind of connected to Lyft. So I thought that was the thing to do. I don't know why, but then that summer I really got connected into, into Lyft and we were pretty mm. uh, much smaller community back then. So it yeah. was really easy to feel that kind of family sense. Mm. But as I've grown and as Lyft has grown, I feel like um, kind of looking back, it was probably more community for the sake of community. Mm. Um, and as I've grown just and, and learning what it means to actually do church as family, just um, that it's more than just having a group of friends. Um, yeah. It's living on mission together yeah. and and kind of living out what God has called us to as a family. And um, so it just made sense for me to kind of be a part of the family that I've been in for mm. uh, seven years now and just and kind of keep um, pushing in and then kind of pressing into what we're, what we're being called to. Mm. Yeah, so I um, joined Lyft in my third year of nursing. I got connected through Allie Graham because we were both um, Welcome Week nursing reps. Um, I also met Laura and uh, Emily Lido back in the day. Um, by January, I was in pretty plugged into Allie and Annie's Simple Church. I was serving on two teams. And mm -hmm. um, I and then by April, I had moved to Hamilton. Mm -hmm. I was actually moved in with Soph at the yeah. time which is awesome. And then six years later, we've been through um, just multiple transitions from finishing school, mm. um, starting a new job, um, you know, getting married and now having kids. And and through it all, we've also, <laughs> just one kid. Um, through it all, we've, um, we've also just been journeying like with mm. Lyft as they've figured out church as family and how mm. that's evolved. And um, just, the vision that God has given our, our leadership team and mm. um, just okay hello I think my internet dropped okay 
Um, so hopefully we're able to finish up that conversation with Taryn and Jeremy in just a little bit. Um, but we're going to just head to Discipleship Resource of the Week now. Okay, so we have discipleship news, sorry, <laughs> discipleship resource of the week. And so what we're going to be um, looking through is Simple Church Family Meeting. So go to engage.liftchurch.ca and download this resource. It's a great way that we as a, tr a Simple Church family, as part of the bigger Lift Church family, can continue to assess where we are, um, dream where we could be and takes and take steps to do so and it's a great way to do that um, right now at this beginning of summer and really would encourage you guys to work through that every semester just because it's a great way that we can continue to be challenged be shaped and not stay complacent in our simple church family okay so if you go to engage.liftchurch.ca um, it's under discipleship resources and if you click that uh, you download it and this um, beautiful PDF is going to come up and it's going to really walk you the step-by-step -step of how to assess, dream, and how to take those steps. And so it's recommended September, January, May as we continue to see new semesters. And so you get to pick one of the areas that you could focus on, multiplication, SME, huddle, or gathering. And so it'll give you some suggestions of how to do so, um, how to work on that, and really figure out what next steps as a whole Simple Church family, not just for leaders or for members, but really as a whole family, how to walk together. And so there's um, some examples and some steps. And if you have any questions, you're more than welcome to talk to your Simple Church leader or your district leader or your Simple Church regional director, and they would love to be able to walk this out with you. But I would encourage you guys to do that. I know I'm going to be doing this as um, a new Simple Church that's been, uh, been sent. I'm so excited to work through this with my simple church and so next up we have our daily devo reflection from christian paquette in genesis chapter 3 i was reminded that in sinning we are saying we know better than god we try to make ourselves like God by making a choice contrary to his perfect will. Similar to Adam and Eve, we have a way of living that is life-giving through God's word, but we often choose sin instead because like the fruit on the tree, it seems to satisfy, but leaves us broken and empty. Thankfully, we have Jesus Christ who saved us from our sins. Be blessed, church. Oh, okay. That's all. Yeah. Both of us? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I joined in 2014 in my first year. Um, I knew two people after moving from Turkey and they were kind of connected to Lyft. So I started coming the first school year. I was kind of doing two churches. I wasn't really invested. And then that summer, I think I really, you know, kind of met a lot of people, made a lot of friends and kind of looking back was probably more community for the sake of mm. community. And now um, just as, as I've grown and as we've grown as a church family, I've just kind of realized that there's so much more, um, to church's family and mm. just uh, the missionary appointment kind of fits into that really well. Mm. Yeah. And then for me, I, I started coming in 2015, my third year of nursing got connected through welcome week, uh, being a welcome week rep for nursing through Allie Graham um, came to launch Sunday, got plugged into her and Annie simple church by January. I was on pre-plugged into that as well as, um, you know, on a, uh, on two serving teams and, you know, in, in April, then I moved to Hamilton and, um, actually moved in with Soph at the time. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, so six years later, we've been through all the transit transitions out of school into the workforce, um, marriage now parenting and through it all, like mm -hmm. Lyft has just been with us. Um, our church has supported us. They've cared for us when we almost left after we got married because we mm -hmm. thought it was the right thing to do. Robin challenged us and said that we that he valued us and that nobody has our story. Nobody can um, love people and and connect with people the way that we can, mm -hmm. um, and that there'll be a hole if we were if we were to leave. And um, we just really received that. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what we needed to hear at that time. And we got plugged in again and. I mean, I feel like our connections and our in our church family is stronger than ever. And um, I feel like now we're just kind of in the place where it's our kind of our turn to step mm -hmm. into that kind of a role where it's mm -hmm. like, let's give back. Let's um, let's care for people the way that we have been loved and cared for for the past six, seven years. Yeah. And just like really quick, that applies to mm -hmm. everybody in our church yeah. family. Like we're all there's only one of each of us that yeah. can bring a unique thing to the table. And if anybody feels that they're not a part of it like if you leave there will be a hole and mm. it's hard to sometimes know that feel that but yeah yeah awesome okay so what are you guys most excited for as you continue to embrace the uh the identity of a missionary yeah i think just the fact that it's a group of us doing it all together um it's not you know, me alone or just Taryn and I kind of trying to figure out what this means. Um, it's, there's quite a big group of us and we're all committed to the same thing. We've all kind of made a covenant as well. Yeah. And like, it's a, uh, it's a group of people that I know that I can turn to with, you know, anything that I'm struggling with, or if I'm having a hard time with it, mm -hmm. or I need some encouragement, I know that there's a group of people that are walking it out with mm -hmm. me. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. I think I'm excited about being just stretched and, and growing in my, in my discipleship. Yeah. Um, decided to grow in those weaker points. For me, that's uh, gospel fluency and secure identity. I think that um, through, you know, the classes and and the books that we're reading, um, I just, I'm excited for those pieces, especially gospel fluency, just becoming such second nature so that when we are fully mm. living on mission and we are sent at the end of the summer, um, you know, that it's, it's, yeah, it just becomes second nature that 
if you're talking to somebody and, and you're discipling them or if you're meeting somebody mm-hmm. new that it's just woven so deep um into myself and to e- into each of us that um that it just yeah it just comes up in conversation and it's just that much more um it's just that much more uh uh what's the word just i guess just easy in conversation yeah, and natural. and yeah thank you more natural in conversation uh, Awesome. Okay. So do you guys have any prayers, um, for our students on our campuses? Yes. Um, I've actually been thinking quite a lot about university culture, um, in, especially in Ontario, because my younger brother is just finishing high school and he's still in Turkey and he's been trying to like decide which university to go to. And when you're living you know, overseas, all you really have is the internet. You have <laughs> rankings of the best schools and then you have forums, you know? Yeah. Um, so in trying to help them out, I've spent some time going through forums as well. And like just some of the posts and the reasons people state for choosing schools mm. is just, it was, it's just, it was hard to read. Mm. One post stuck with me. It was a just on, I think it was on the McMaster Reddit or something. And somebody posted that they got a C plus in a first year course and they were really worried and anxious about their chances of getting into grad school. Mm. And if that course bad mark was going to affect it. And that just like broke my heart. And it's just like, if it was an isolated incident, that's one thing. But like in my experience in engineering like that, you know, oh, how are you doing? Oh, I'm so busy. I'm so stressed. That's what you hear all the time. And the whole culture all around you is, you know, work hard, get good grades for the good job so you can get good money mm. and everything else is just to serve that goal. And it's mm. so stressful and you see so much anxiety mm. in, in students and it just breaks my heart. So I think my prayer would be that, you know, they, the students on our, on the campuses, like just discover the mm. hope that there is in Jesus and that there's mm. so much more to live for than just the good grade, the good yeah. job. And it's mm-hmm. like, just to be freed from that, like performance driven life. Mm-hmm. It's just so exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. So my prayer for, for our campuses, I think ties into just my, just remembering welcome week from, from becoming a nursing rep to um, <clears throat> in my final year, just um, doing welcome week with lift church. And mm-hmm. a big part of that was, um, you know, making pancakes for um, all the reps and getting up at 5 a.m. to go make the pancakes and then serve them. And so many times you get asked, why are you doing this? Like, why do this? Mm. It's like, well, we love you. We love the campus. And, you know, the the, the mm. big answer is that Jesus loves you. And, mm. you know, we love because he first loved us. And mm. um, I think I just really look forward to, um, or my, I guess my prayer would be that that each campus would know the love of Jesus because mm. we are doing such a good job at like loving our campuses mm. and being present. And, mm. um, and I think a huge part of that is just, is being confident and um, having that secure identity and gospel yeah. fluency and mission, mission of living radical, like all, all five of them. Like, um, and I think that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm just excited and I, to, to see this come to fruition and um yeah, that, that each of our campuses would just know the love of Christ. Wow, so beautiful. And I'm so excited to continue to walk alongside you guys um, as I'm also doing the missionary appointment with you guys. But let me just pray for us and also our missionaries. 
Um, okay, let's pray, church. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for Taryn and Jeremy, Lord. I just thank you for their story of how they came to lift and almost left, but knowing that there was going to be a void if they left, Lord. And we just thank you so much that they've now stepped into, um, and all of our missionaries have stepped into an identity where they get to um, disciple others, the students of our campuses and our church lord we just pray that as the missionaries go through training and as they continue to um yeah just learn what it means to love the campus and love the people around them lord i pray that we would continue to leave just be transformed because you are so good lord we just pray um, as, yeah, like Taryn and Jeremy are praying for our students, Lord. I just pray that we would all um, have a, a burning passion for the lost, Lord, a burning passion for our campuses um, as we continue to just walk that through with also our simple churches and as a church as a whole. We just thank you so much um, for this conversation and even um, being able to have this conversation with Taryn and Jeremy, uh, and we just pray that um, we can continue to bless you and honor you wherever we go. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank amen. you guys so much. Okay, so now we're going to go to the Daily Devo reflection of um, with Christian Paquette. Hey guys, well, welcome to the teaching portion of the webcast tonight. We're going to get straight into things. Um, I apologize that it's going to be a little bit uh, longer of a webcast episode tonight, just with some of the hiccups. We're going to be running a little over time, but I really want us to dig deep. And uh, so if you need to just take a minute and stretch, grab a glass of water so that we can really, you know, we've been praying into this content now for um, actually several months and, uh, it's really important that we, that we hear and we, we, we sort of take to heart the, the core ideas tonight. So take a minute, make sure you're ready for it, ready to dive deep. And we're going to, we're going to go deep into things. So, uh, C.S. Lewis wrote an article many years ago is buried in, uh, one of his unpublished works called first things. And he said this, quote, every preference of a small good to a great or a partial good to a total good involves the loss of the small or partial good for which the sacrifice was made. So in essence, when we prioritize something that might be a good thing as a first thing, so take something good and we make it great, we end up losing the good thing and the thing that should be the really good thing, the real first thing. So for example, if we make pleasing people our first thing, we will end up tremendously insecure and selfish, ironically pleasing no one. If our primary thing in life is pleasing people and uh, we make that our, our primary goal, keep everybody happy, we will end up pleasing no one 
as a result. If we make personal happiness our primary thing, our first thing, we will end up acting selfishly and therefore, ironically, unhappy. We can only achieve second things when we organize them behind something that is appropriately and by God's design a first thing. And over the last number of years, what I've noticed is that we have a tendency to confuse or adopt second things and elevate them to primary things or allow them to share space with the primary thing. And so over the next five weeks, we're going to explore five things that are essential to remain in first place. But more importantly, what we're going to look at is the second things that are competing for first place, often without us even realizing it. And so tonight, what I want to start off with is this second thing of labels that can very quickly end up competing for first place with Jesus' lordship in our lives. And I want to start with a question. Does our desire to find our way in life through an identity or label descriptor set up a competition for Jesus' lordship in our lives? That's the question I really want us to dive into. Now, we love labels. Uh, in fact, we, we need labels. They're important. Labels allow us to distinguish ourselves from what we are not, to differentiate ourselves. For example, I'm a, I'm a man, I'm a dad, I'm a discipler, I'm a friend, I'm a Jesus follower, and, and so forth. And those are labels that I can use to describe part of who I am. And all of those are true statements. And there's all kinds of labels that we use. We use, for example, national labels. I am a Canadian. We use uh, gender labels. I am a male or a man. We use ethnic labels. We use career labels. I am an engineer, doctor, lawyer, nurse. We use political labels. I, I am a whatever. I'm not even going to put one in there lest you impute something into me. That We use uh, intersectional labels. So I am you know, part of this aggrieved group. Now, some of these labels are neutral. Some of them are less neutral. Now, in some cases, a label is merely a description. But in many cases, a label is more than a description. It represents a commitment to a set of ideas, beliefs, or values. So, for example, let me give an example. If I say I am a doctor, and I'm not a doctor, but let's say I was, it might mean that on the surface I have trained for a medical degree and I'm employed to provide healthcare services. But at a deeper level, that label doctor represents a commitment to, for example, the Hippocratic Oath to first do no harm. Because human life is precious. To assume the label doctor is to ideologically commit to the value of human life. The label is more than just a label. In essence, there's a difference between a label that is used to help differentiate or describe something and a label that associates us with an ideology or set of ideas or values. And what we're going to discover is that almost every label carries with it a set of ideas or values. The challenge is what appears to merely be a description is in fact a commitment in many times to a set of beliefs. What's the problem? Well, what happens when the label we are using starts to hold ideological sway over us? 
What happens when there is a conflict between a label we are using to understand ourselves or other people and the identity that we should or could have in Christ? What happens when the second thing label starts to compete for supremacy in our lives with the first thing of Jesus' lordship? Let's revisit the labels from before that I listed, but now with the realization that the label represents more than just a label, it's a commitment. Our national labels, they imply a commitment to a set of values and ideas. Our sexual or gender labels, they imply a commitment to a set of ideas, one way or another. Our ethnic labels imply a commitment to a set of ideas and values. For example, look at what has been happening this week in Israel and Palestine. It's an ethnic conflict, among many other things. So if someone says, I am Israeli or I am Palestinian, that has a deeper meaning. Career labels represent a commitment to a set of ideas, political and so forth. So, what happens then when the label is more than just a label? Well, a label becomes intertwined with our worldview. In fact, a label, uh, because they are rooted in ideas, a label functions a lot like a worldview. Now, a worldview, to recap, is anything that seeks to answer the questions of identity, belonging, and purpose in our lives. Who am I? Who am I with? And where am I going? So, so a label functions a lot like a worldview but more subtle. It's like we don't really know, notice that it's functioning like a worldview. I'll give you an example of how powerful labels are. Years ago, I was at a rugby game in South Africa, 40,000 people in the stadium, and I didn't care which team. There was the team, one team called the Stormers, and I don't even remember the name of the other team. And uh, it was a big deal, a lot of people in the stadium, and I go in, I know nothing. I'm just there with my cousin. We're watching the rugby game in Cape Town. It's a, we're going to have a great time. But very quickly, in the, the sea of 40,000 people and in, surrounded by Stormers fans, I felt isolated, naturally. It's very hard to go to a sports game and not cheer for a team. So very quickly, I, I, I adopted that I was gonna cheer for the Stormers, why? Well, by choosing to cheer for the Stormers, I was discovering a community. All the people I was sitting with were were Stormers fans, and by saying I was also a Stormers fan, assuming that label, I received community. Now, I also received purpose, because now I had someone to cheer for. In just a silly illustration, we can see that the label, Stormers fan, gave me community and purpose. Labels are powerful. Now, let's zone in on this principle of belonging. Perverse, the first thing that labels do is define a tribe or people or community that we belong to. Labels allow us to define who we belong to. One of the deepest human needs is belonging, to know that we are welcome, safe, and secure in a people group. By adopting a label, we can find ourselves part of the in-crowd, part of the, the welcomed community of people to belong with. 
This happens every fall during Welcome Week. You have thousands of first years coming in and they have no sense of community. And what's the very first thing that people do? Well, they adopt the labels of their, if they're in residence, their residence or their faculty. And they begin to form community around those tribes that they belong to. And they become very proud of them. I live in McKay Hall. Oh, you live in McKay Hall. Well, I'm an engineer. Oh, you're an engineer. And there is this sense of belonging. Now, of course, this is rooted in a, in a shared experience, but we have to be conscious of how deep our longing for belonging is. The belonging that we find in joining a tribe or assuming a label can be so powerful that it can actually cause us to betray our commitments to Jesus in order to maintain our sense of belonging. And the more that we hold on to that label, the more powerful the label is in providing that sense of belonging. However, this is the problem. What happens when Jesus' lordship and the ideas that are attached to that label are at odds with one another? We risk losing our sense of belonging in order to follow Jesus. I want to give you two examples from opposite ends of the political world. There's an immensely popular book by uh, Ibrahim Kendi called How to Be an Anti-Racist, and it functions this way. This thesis is essentially, you are either an anti-racist, actively functioning to dismantle uh, his definition of racism, or you are a racist. Now, aside from ideologues that are evil, <laughs> very few people would say, you know, I, I, I want to be a racist. No one wants to be on the outside of that conversation. And so the way that that book functions is that it functions to cause people to very quickly adopt the label anti-racist because the alternative, at least on the surface, is horrifying. No one wants to belong to the racist tribe. So we adopt the label, let's join the anti-racist tribe. Which on the surface seems like a good thing. But what happens if the ideology that is driving and underneath the term anti-racist is at odds with Jesus and anti-Jesus? Now, the tension is that because we have adopted the label anti-racist, it is potentially running us into a scenario where we risk losing our sense of belonging and being associated with the people we don't want to be associated with, but, but we don't know how to work it out with Jesus' lordship. And so if we go, we end up feeling like we're on the wrong side of the tracks. And if we stay, we end up risking losing clarity of the gospel. Labels are powerful. Now, on the other side of the political world, millions of people in the U.S. adopted the label conservative or Republican. And in so doing, found a tremendous sense of community and, and belonging and shared values. But what happens, for example, if a narcissistic, tyrannical leader steps in to lead that tribe? Like one we can all name. Now the label of conservative or Republican is now at odds with the stated values of Jesus followers, given the leader. If we reject the leader, we lose our community. But if we accept the leader, we lose our credibility as Jesus followers. What are we to do? It's not so much that one of these is uh, a Jesus honoring and one of these is not a Jesus honoring, but to illustrate that it doesn't matter where in the political or ideological realm it is, labels are powerful 
And the more we embrace them, the more uh, sway they have over us. Now, the power of adopting labels in allowing us to belong to community is especially powerful in the area of sexuality. Years ago, I sat down with an individual who was grappling with his sexuality, and I do this often. And, um, you know, they, they felt that they had a complex set of attractions and they didn't know what to do with what they were experiencing. And then they shared with me that although they didn't really know what they thought, they felt tremendous pressure to put a label on themselves to define their particular kind of sexuality. And the reason they felt the pressure was that they felt a pressure to label themselves so that they could belong. The label was more than simply a tool to describe their experiences. To adopt the label would provide an immediate sense of community and belonging and would resolve tensions. Labels are powerful and it's heartbreaking because millions of people are defining themselves, informing their core identities from things outside of Jesus in order to belong. Because we long for belonging, safety, and community. And it is heartbreaking because Jesus gave his church to be that place. Listen to what 1 Peter chapter 2 has to say. Once you were not a people, but now... You are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Our sense of security, our sense of belonging is found entirely within inclusion in the family of God, his church. And when we look to labels to try to supply that sense of security, we end up setting ourselves on a very dangerous path. Now, the second thing uh, that labels do is that they give us purpose. They give us a sense of what to do. Do you refer back to my sporting illustration? By choosing a team, I gave myself purpose during that game. Now, the longing for purpose is vital in the human experience, and a label seeks to answer the question of what is my purpose, but it can start to hold real power over myself. For example, if I say I am an engineer, it means that my career and work can become an intrinsic and essential part of who I am. To lose my work or to lose my career would be to lose my sense of purpose in the world. This happens all the time with athletes who post-competition struggle to find meaning in their lives. The power of a label to inform our sense of purpose, especially when the label is ideological, is significant. For example, when we adopt a political or ideological label, it is by nature purpose-defining. The labels, for example, feminist, conservative, capitalist, socialist, progressive, I'm trying to demonstrate that it doesn't matter where in the political or ideological world it is. Ideological labels that we put on ourselves begin to define our purpose. They represent a commitment to a set of ideas, and those ideas may or may not always align with Jesus' lordship. And so what are we going to do? 
I want to invite us to ask a number of questions as we think about labels. Questions to help us process, is this label more than just a helpful descriptor, or is it actually seeking to answer the question of belonging and purpose in my life? Question number one, does my commitment to a label result in trying to serve two masters? Perhaps the biggest issue with labels is that we use them to identify, as I said, our identity, community, and purpose. But the reason this is problematic is that we can end up trying to serve two masters. The second thing label very quickly tries to vie for power and position in our lives as a first thing. The label seeks to be our master. Jesus says in Matthew 6 that no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. What happens when we adopt a label that begins to define our, our sense of identity, community, or purpose is that, that that label results in us having a foot in the Jesus boat and a foot in the label boat. And what happens when those boats inevitably go different directions? We have to choose who is king. You have to choose which boat you're in. The core label as Christians is that of Christ's lordship his lordship over us, and as a result of his lordship and his kingship in our lives, we have the label of ambassador. We are secure no matter the situation we find ourselves in because we know that our king is sovereign over the throne. And you see, an ambassador is a really interesting illustration here because an ambassador can take up residence in a culture that is foreign to them, but they are never subsumed into that culture. They can reside in the culture, but their first and primary responsibility is always to the kingdom and its king, Jesus. Everything that an ambassador does in a foreign land is in the name of its king, and its loyalty is always to their king. As ambassadors, we must resist the temptation to become loyal to another king or loyal to another master that is not Jesus. We must resist the false promises of identity, community, and purpose, knowing, again, as 1 Peter chapter 2 says, that I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your souls. The truth is that we will always feel like aliens and strangers in this world as Jesus followers because our king, his kingdom is different than the kingdom of this world. Christ must have total and complete authority of our lives. As the apostle Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now we're going to return to this theme over and over and over again, but core to it is the problem of labels and the way we use them is that they begin to make us think that we are sovereign to define our own identity, community, and purpose. But if Jesus is king, he is sovereign to define identity, community, and purpose. The trouble is, as human beings, that we are not capable of answering those questions of identity, community, and purpose. They are gifts to be received from Jesus. First question 
Does my commitment to a label end up with me trying to serve two masters? Second question. Does my commitment to a label distort or diminish the gospel? The second core issue here is that we can easily erode the clarity of the gospel itself that teaches that I am saved by and through Jesus' grace alone. And there's a number of ways that we can distort the gospel here. Number one is that we can distort the gospel when we become dependent on our label for moral justification, essentially saying that we are saved by Jesus' grace plus the good works that we do because of this label. This can happen in particular when we adopt a particular cause, whether the cause is abortion, abortion, racism, sexism, or any kind of other evil-ism. We can begin to associate our value, our worth, our dignity, and our purpose with combating that evil-ism. We can begin to think that we are morally sufficient so long as we battle the evil-ism, but that is not true. We can begin to believe that what makes me a good person is the work of Jesus plus the actions that come from my label. This is a distortion of the gospel. Romans is crystal clear that God declares us as righteous because of nothing in ourselves and everything in Jesus. We do good things because Christ has saved us, not so that Christ will save us. There is an important and essential difference. Now, many of you have grown up in the church and you go, yeah, yeah, I'm saved by grace, not works. But let me emphasize this. Let's not underestimate how easily we can become dependent on our good works to make us feel morally sufficient rather than the saving grace of Jesus. We can, almost without noticing, begin to believe that what really saves us, what really makes us good, is faith in Jesus plus behavior. And so we use our labels to validate our sense of moral conviction. This is dangerous. The third way that we can distort the gospel is when we begin to look at our labels as a defining characteristic of goodness rather than God's authority and his sovereign purposes. In other words, when we look to the label as the label defines what is moral, the ideas that are attached to the label define what is moral. When we become ideologically entrenched in a value system that does not place Jesus as Lord, we can begin to treat that value system as if it defines good. Again, let's use the isms of the political world to illustrate. We can begin to believe that socialism is the good or conservatism is the right way or is what is good. We can begin to think that what defines goodness is a political ideology, but instead, as Christians, we must remember that the gospel reminds us that God is the sovereign definer of what is good, not man. And the third way we can distort the gospel is that our God-given gift of purpose can become overridden by our secondary purposes. 
In the gospel, we have received a clear commission from Jesus to make disciples of all nations. There is an urgent need for Christians to embrace the call to announce the kingdom of Jesus and invite people to receive him as Lord. And oftentimes, Christians will forsake their primary vocation in the pursuit of secondary callings. And we can take a secondary good. Career is good. Many of the causes that are represented in the isms are good. But when they are elevated from a secondary thing to our primary thing, we have lost sight of the gospel that calls us to receive Christ as Lord and receive his command to make disciples. And as a result, we are unfulfilled, therefore, in our secondary callings and neglect our primary calling. Third question we need to ask ourselves. Does my commitment to a label manipulate scripture to fit my ideologies? We might say that I can be committed to my label because Jesus would be as well. There aren't two boats, Robin. Jesus would clearly be in this boat with me. For example, I have heard it said that Jesus was uh, a conservative. Jesus was a feminist. Jesus was a socialist. Jesus was a capitalist, and so forth. Jesus was all these things. Well, the trouble is that Jesus is none of those things. Jesus was not a feminist, socialist, capitalist, or any other ideologue. How can I be so emphatic? Well, for two reasons. Number one, because Jesus was a first century Jew and he could not have represented 18th, 19th, 20th, or 21st century ideas because they didn't exist. We must not read our ideologies and our meaning into Scripture. We must read Jesus' meaning out of Scripture. We're going to talk more about that next week. When we start to label Jesus with our own labels, we dangerously impute or give to Jesus an idea that isn't there natively or isn't actually in the Scriptures. It couldn't be there because it wasn't part of the framework of thinking at that time. We must not read our own meaning into the text. What happens when we state that Jesus was a blank label? We are subjecting Jesus to a foreign ideology to Scripture, and we end up making Jesus in our own image. This is, to be frank, idolatry. It is a horrible distortion of Jesus. We cannot fit Jesus into our human ideologies. In fact, I believe that we need to repent when we do this of any claim to place Jesus in an ideological box. Jesus was not any particular ideology on any side of the political or otherwise spectrum. Jesus was the complete and sufficient revelation of God in flesh. He is the sovereign creator of the universe. He doesn't fit in our ideological boxes. And we must be clear on this lest we confuse our fallible human self-centered ideologies with the very person of God. Third question, does our commitment 
to an ideology result in us trying to fit the idea into scripture as opposed to just letting scripture speak. The final question I want us to ask is, have I allowed the life-giving depth of biblical labels to take their full effect? Not all labels are at odds with Jesus. In fact, there are many labels that are designed to inform our identity in Scripture, and we need to take note of them. The good news is that true identity, belonging, and purpose is found in what Christ has to give and say about us. Let me give you some labels that you can take to the bank. Number one, sinner. Have I evaluated the depths of my sin in the absence of Christ, and do I have a proper appreciation for the magnitude of Jesus' love for me given the severity and depth of my own sinfulness? Two, saved. Have you received the full beauty of the fact that you are loved saved, redeemed, and made whole by Christ, needing nothing else. Number three, child or brother and sister. Does the fact that the full inheritance of the kingdom of heaven is yours because of the work of Jesus, are you confident and secure knowing that you belong to a family, of, a family of believers from every tribe, tongue, and generation? Number four, slave. Has the liberating reality that you are the most alive when you die to yourself and submit, to your, life, submit your life to Jesus for the service of others, has that become the defining characteristic in your decision-making. Number five, ambassador. Have you received your commission from your king and Lord to go and make disciples? Number six, male or female. Have you allowed the fact that God designed you and made you and gave you a physical body, have you allowed that to inform your identity based on the unique and beautiful characteristics of God's design? And finally, disciple. Do you see yourself as bearing responsibility in the kingdom of heaven to know Jesus and lead others to do likewise? Do we see that all of these labels start by assuming God's sovereignty or Jesus' lordship? They're not ideological commitments. They're truths and gifts to be received. So what do we do? I want to lead you through very briefly, and you can take notes on this, a seven-step process to help identify and walk this through with yourself or people you're discipling. What do you do? Seven steps. Number one, we need to start by naming the labels. What labels have you attached to your life? Think, think broadly here, innocuous all the way through to ideological. Number two, ask yourself, why is this label or labeling activity important to me? 
Where does it supply identity, belonging, or purpose? Why is it important? Why is it that that label is significant to you? Number three, we need to take the time having identified the labels and identified why they're important. Ask the question, where is this label competing with Christ? Specifically competing with Christ for lordship, competing with Christ for satisfaction in him, and competing with Christ on the definition around what is true. Number four, we need to repent of that competition. Acknowledge before Jesus, Jesus, I have allowed something else other than you to take place. Number five, we need to ask, where does Jesus give me a better label? What does scripture teach me to adopt that is a better substitute? Number six, we need to invite the Holy Spirit to show us the better way. It's not by force of mind that this label begins to take hold in our hearts from Scripture. It is by work of the Spirit. And finally, we need to invite others into the journey of helping us be formed in this new, deeper, Christ-centered identity. I'm sure that there's lots of questions, guys. I, I ran through that as quick as I could, knowing that it's been a bit of a long webcast, but I hope that that helps lay some of the framework around first things and why it's important to get this right. So we're going to get into questions in just a sec. We'll take a quick break, and we'll be back in just a sec with questions. So make sure you get your questions in because it's a great meaty topic to kind of work through. I know I was writing as fast as I could and my pen died, so that was really unfortunate. But um, but yeah, I think the idea of labels um, is so profound, I think, especially now that we want to be this or we achieve to be that. So I think um, the idea of labels is so significant. Yeah, and I, I, I used a lot of like what I call ideological labels, but right. it applies like all Anything. over the place, like mom, dad, yeah. like, uh, you know, career labels I think are particularly powerful. Yeah. Uh, and 
we had all of that in mind. I think mm-hmm. it's 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 not that like they all have this potential. Oh, 100%. Um, and uh, I've just been so aware of how quickly I think Christians in particular mm. can, because we like a part of a label, we will say, oh, that seems really good. That mm. seems like it's of Jesus. And, and maybe part of it is. There might be yeah. some truth in it. In right. fact, there's usually some truth yeah. in almost ev- every yeah. everything. But what happens is when we like this part of what's true, we end up assuming all of it, mm. the good and the bad. But because labels are so powerful in defining community and purpose, mm. once we have assumed the label to ourselves, it becomes very hard to disentangle yeah. the good and the bad Right. because yes. now they're defining our sense of community and purpose. Right? Yeah. And that's kind of what I, that's maybe the one big thought I wanted people mm-hmm. to take away, take away from was... And, and, and part of it is that like, Jesus really does... I think where there is truth in the mm. label, Jesus has already spoken to that right. in almost every case. Yeah. Um, we don't need the label to add, like, Jesus is sufficient. Um, right, so. right. Okay, so Claire has a question here. How can you show people, specifically non-Christians, that you love them without conforming to labels? We're going to talk about this uh, explicitly in two weeks, Claire. Okay, so, so I'm looking. Stay tuned. I'm looking at the mic. I don't know why I'm looking at the mic. I, I'm just fried. This is first time here today. The first time. I've never done this before. But I think uh, um, the idea of labels is something that it could be. It could turn into an idol. Like it, trying to achieve. I think like sometimes for families, like the idea of being a mom yeah. can be an idol. Like like kind of setting aside all ambitions to achieve that. Yeah, but but to your question, Claire, I didn't want to just dismiss yes, it. Sorry. Um, the, the question, if I, I think, was how do we... Can you, can you how, rephrase it back to how me? How can you show people, specifically non-Christians, that you love them without conforming to labels? Yes, that's, that's really good, Claire. So, as I said, we're going to answer this in two weeks. And part of what we're going to do is we're going to try to come to a better definition of what it means to love people. Mm, and right. underneath a lot of our, our world right now is there's this false belief, I, I would say... That love equals acceptance. Right. That in yes. order to love people, we need to all agree. Well, mm. that's really problematic because we're never all going to no. agree. <laughs> um, and and to place the requirement of agreement or acceptance mm. on the very nature of love, yeah. by definition, makes love impossible. Right. Because it's it's associating or defining love as performative. And so we're gonna we're gonna get into this really deep in two weeks. We're gonna talk about um, the like basically the difference between a biblical kind of mm-hmm. a love and I, I think a, a worldly kind of a love. Um, the short version of it is that it, it we really look to Jesus here, right. full of grace and truth. Yeah. Um, but one thing I would say is that Christians often make the mistake of moralizing mm-hmm. um, and trying to make an issue out of something that expecting someone to behave as if Jesus is Lord when they have not accepted Jesus right. as Lord. yes. And so that's a real um, mistake that we need to avoid. Right, right. So, But we're going to talk about this in great detail in two weeks. Okay, so pumped about that. Um, how do we handle the ideology baggage that can come with the label Christian to non-Christians or even wounded Christians? From Laura Waller. That is, oh man. <laughs> that's a great question. So that, that's a really good question. Mm-hmm. I think
I think that some people would sometimes game it a little bit where they try to say, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. But I mean, I think people see through the games pretty quick. Mm -hmm. I think what we need to do is we need to be okay accepting the label of Christian. Right. Um, whether or not people understand that label, we need to mm. not be afraid of that. That I think what we mean with la that label is that I follow Jesus and I'm part of the family of God and mm -hmm. I'm on mission to lead others to do the same. I think what we need to do is rather than try and fight the battle of what does it or does it not mean mm -hmm. is instead say, well, Jesus is my Lord right. and I'm going to, I'm going to redeem your understanding of what this word mm -hmm. Christian means through my actions. Right. Um, and sort of not get too hung up on, on the fact that people may or may not have a negative association right. of the word Christian. Right. Um, yeah. There's not too much that we can do to control that. Right. So. so it's just like how we can then move on from there. Yeah, like I think just, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that did a great job. I'm no, going to think, think more on that great. question. Um, okay, so John is asking, should should we start challenging people in conversations when labels start are starting to be used? Um, I, I think we need to be cautious here. Mm. Um, my hope in unpacking this was to give our church something of a, a theological and um, sort of practical foundation to think about these things. Right. Um, because I think more and more, there's more and more pressure to adopt labels. Our mm. culture is putting pressure yeah. to say, hey, hey, what are you? Yeah. Are you with this or are you with that? And I think we need to, as a church, have a formulated theology for why we wouldn't do that. Right. Um, what I don't want us to do is to become legalistic in the application of it. So right. every yeah. time somebody like utters it, it's like the wolves attack. Like that's, right. that's not a good environment. Right. I, I do think what we should do is we should be, especially in a discipleship context, judicious and uh, attentive to the way that somebody mm. is using that label yeah. um, to identify, you know, are they just being descriptive? Are they right. just, are they just grappling with an idea? Or is this now starting to take root mm. and help them distinguish between um, something that's just descriptive or right. helpful or something that's starting to define our identity yeah. and purpose? And and I think opening up some conversations around it to say, yeah. hey, have you thought about this? Right. Uh, let's talk about it. Yeah. So I think be gracious. Yeah. But... I was quite firm tonight so that we have a theological foundation. Right. I don't think we've ever taught on this before. No, so. I don't think so either. Um, okay. Abby's asking, how do we navigate people using a lack of labels to leverage to support the opposing labels? Um, she was saying, i.e., we can't argue... Uh, sorry, we can't argue against or for what the Bible doesn't mention, feminism, but it can't label Jesus as a feminist. What do we do when people then go say, well, then Jesus didn't actually care slash respect slash whatever else for women? This is uh, one of the, the great question, Abby, by the yeah. way. I think this is one of the problematic ideas in our world today, which basically says that unless you verbalize the fact that you are with us, you mm. are against us. But, and it, and it runs deep, yeah. especially on the cultural hot button issues yeah, yeah. Of, of our day, particularly racism, sexism, and so yeah. forth. And I think what we need to do is demonstrate that 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 Jesus' way really was better. Mm. That there really is a better way in Jesus. Um, and and sidestep the issue of the label. Mm. The label is really a controlling device. 
Okay. Um, yeah. And and I think it's an unfair, manipulative tool in the conversation. Okay. Um, and I think we can just call that out. Yeah. Say, hey, like I, I don't think that the conversation. I don't think it's appropriate to just categorize people that way. Mm. I think let's talk about real people, real issues. Right. Um, and and try to cut through the noise and the divisive. Mm. This is the core issue I would say is that it's divisive, right? Mm. It's if if you don't adopt this label, then you must be this horrible other person, right? Well, right. what if there's parts of that label that are anti my worldview, right? That are actually self destructive and mm. harmful to the very people you're trying to to serve. Yeah. And um, and I think we need to be willing to to spar on this a little bit as Christians to say that there is a better way. Yeah. Uh, there is a more liberating mm. way. Uh, number one, but this is also, I think, the, the second piece of this is that we need to not be afraid of people accusing us of a moral evil mm. simply because we haven't adopted the label. Right. Because essentially what that does is they're trying to, to place on, on everyone else like a you are like a kind of a work salvation. You have to do this in order right. to be a good person. No, I don't have to do anything in order to be a good person because I'm not a good person. Right, yeah. <laughs> and praise Jesus that I can say I'm not a good yeah, person, but yeah. Jesus has saved me. Mm. I don't need to to perform. I can't, In fact, I don't, not only do I not need to, I can't, Yeah. but Jesus did. Right. And uh, I think a better, there's a better, more liberating way here. Mm. Um, so... Um, yeah, there, we, I could talk on this for for hours, Abby. Great, great question. Okay, Linnea is asking, do you have any advice for someone who has struggled with having a career or job drive their purpose? Um, and then she does have a second one, but it's similar but different. So, like, how can our purpose in Christ stay at the forefront for those working in secular environments? Yeah, so I think first off that I hope what we learned this week in Genesis yeah. uh, 2 is that God gave us the purpose of, of doing work. Like, yeah. work is work is a good. Yeah. Work is a good yeah. thing. Yeah. But it's not a first thing. Right. Um, we were not, we were made to work, but our primary thing, our, mm. what's the, what's the, I think it's the Westminster Catechism, it says, what's the chief end of man? To glorify God and yeah. enjoy him forever. Mm. That's our, our first thing. Yeah. And work is a really good second thing. So I, I hope what you hear here is not a disparaging of work. Right. Work is good. Yeah. God gave it to us as a gift, and we need right. to commit ourselves to working hard. Yeah, um, I guess as Paul said, like work as unto the Lord. Yeah. Um, so I think the first part is don't please don't take it and be like, therefore my work is evil right. or wrong. Or I can't have drive. Ever. I can't have drive. Like yeah. please, like if you're a driven, passionate, hardworking person, like yeah, please like work hard, make yeah. cool stuff, yeah. build great organizations, fix broken people, yeah. like, do what you need to do, yeah. and do it with like gusto. Right. Um, I think the question we have to ask continually is, how does this, um, and, and by the way, that is in itself a God-glorifying thing. Yeah. But the question we always have to come back to is, but my first mandate is disciple-making. Mm. How am I making disciples? How mm. am I serving others? How am I blessing others? Right. And to recognize that those first things of service, disciple-making, mm. um, uh, operating in the context of church family have to take precedence over the good second thing of career right otherwise the selfish dimension of career is going to start mm. to overrule when we allow that second thing which is a good thing yeah to jump to first place 
Right. It begins to, to rule us. We become mm. uh, over-ambitious. We become selfish. We yeah. become greedy. Um, we become vying for success in our career at right. the expense of other people. Yeah. It's got, got, got to be second mm. behind those other good first yeah. things. Um, and this is why first, second things is so powerful because when the second thing of career is behind the first thing of disciple-making family and so forth, what we get is Disciple making, church's family, generosity, mm-hmm. thriving, yeah. servitude, and the mm-hmm. gift of work. Right. But when the gift of work becomes the first, first thing, we lose it all. Right. So I hope that helped. And then the second part was how can our purpose in Christ stay at the forefront for those working in secular environments? Um, so I think the easiest way to do this is, and, and there's different perspectives on this, mm-hmm. but I, I think in the context of our church family, what, and, and I really believe this to be the most practical answer to mm-hmm. it, is to ask the question, what is my church family doing and how can I come mm-hmm. alongside and make disciples? Um, so often we think of our purpose in Christ only individualistically. Right. So like, what, yeah. what's, how am I going to yeah. you know, glorify God? But it's actually how are we going to glorify mm-hmm. God? And I think we have to anchor the this, this desire to glorify God in the context of a secular environment, in the context of our church family. Mm. So one of the best things we can do, I, I would say, is commit to a life of service and unity in the context of our church family and then work hard and effectively at our jobs. Mm. Um, but not allowing the job to just trump the rest of our life. Right. Uh, and I think that that allows both our career and our and our. Uh, church family to thrive mm-hmm. but it does mean a little bit of a death of the individualism that we often mm. think like what's my calling yes well yes i don't really see that narrative in scripture i see god creating families right um so yeah awesome yeah. okay just looking for a couple of um questions here um adam saying relationship is key to identity if a label is taking root in someone Dan is saying, I think it's so vital. We can't be afraid of the labels that others might put on us as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Laura's just responding to Abby's statement. Um, you point out that he was so radical in the way he treated women. Um, oh, sorry, that you could point out that he was so radical in the way that he treated women. There's so many examples of that. Um, but yeah. And there's a couple of people typing still. Yeah. The only caution I would put on that is that we need to be careful of trying to make Scripture fit the ideology. Right. Like, uh, like, look, see, Jesus was the... It's like... Right, right, right. Maybe actually Jesus has a way that has nothing to do mm-hmm. and completely sidesteps the issue in a different way. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think, for example, um, the... Um, for example, in the, in the version of, of, for example, in, in ethnic tensions, mm. um, which is a huge part of Jesus' day, yeah, our cultural narratives has a particular way of solving ethnic tensions. I, I don't think it works. Right. I, I think the evidence is in. It, it doesn't work. Right. Um, I don't see more peace in our world. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what was Jesus' solution? Well, his solution was pretty radical. It was to adopt the posture of a servant, mm. was to give his life as a ransom for many, and to call his people to love and forgive their enemies. Mm. Well, that is ideologically at odds mm. with our world. So if we try to say, what's our world saying and demanding the solution to ethnic tension be? We try to find it in scripture. We're not going to find it because the solutions of our world are not the solutions of Jesus. Right. And so we have to ask the question, 
what was Jesus, how is Jesus uniquely mm. addressing the injustices of our world? Mm. What's his answer, right. not how does Jesus' answer fit the narrative right, of our culture? Right, right. And so we just got to be really careful here because Jesus' way oftentimes will be at odds with the version of our culture right. and inevitably better. Right. Okay, Paula is just saying, add to Robin, invite those in your workplace alongside you as you do church's family. Yeah, for sure. Great ad, Paula. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I think no one else is typing. But yeah, I think that was a great foundation. I'm really excited for the next four weeks. Um, I'll make sure I have some fresh pens with me. Um, but yeah, if you have any last-minute questions, please send them in. But... I think that is going to be it for today. I don't see anyone else typing. To give you a quick rundown, mm -hmm. uh, next week we're talking about we have to move. So today was from labels to lordship. Mm -hmm. Next week we're moving from opinions to objectivity. Ooh, okay. uh, and so how do we move from uh, just reading scripture for opinion mm -hmm. or and actually arriving at objective, like trustworthy truth? Yeah. Third week we're going to talk about love and the difference between worldly love and gospel love mm. and how... Um, Week four, we're going to talk about justice right. and uh, talk about how the first thing that we need in order to achieve real justice is an understanding of the image-bearing worth, the fact that every human being is an image-bearer mm. of God. And um, the last week, we're going to be talking about this difference between the biblical idea of enslavement to Christ mm. and the worldly idea of entitlement to rights. Ooh. And how, as Christians, there's this really radical approach to what it means to, to be enslaved to Christ. Wow. Um, it's going to be spicy for weeks. <laughs> it's going to be good. <laughs> but I, I really do believe that it's we're basically just going to be talking good news. Every yes, week. Like, for I sure. hope what came yeah. through today isn't like Cranky Robin, but actually like good news. Like, this yeah. is good news, guys. Yeah. Like, those labels that I talked about at the end, like, that's good news. So and I think it's easy to be enslaved by those labels. So yeah. it's good news. Awesome. Well, that's it for tonight, church. Thank you so much for joining us. Be blessed.